welcome to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. Uh, before we get into the show, I just wanted to say thank you to all those who have reached out and um, said some nice things on uh, the various platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But thank you very much, and I really do appreciate it. I have a lot of fun doing this show, and I uh, hope to be doing it for a long, long time. Thankfully, movies, uh, there's a lot of them to talk about, so I hope to have a never-ending supply of uh, conversation. Today, we are going to talk about Jurassic Park. This movie is about as perfect as it gets from the score, uh, the action, the writing, the actors that were cast, the director. Everything about this movie was just wonderful, and considering it was made in 1993, I thought they did a darn good job with the various forms of CGI that they had to do, but it was mainly the puppetry and the animatronics that were just so amazing. And what's nice about being able to do this show in the afternoon, it's a Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, is uh, no one's home, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm alone at the house, so I can speak in my normal tone of voice, which is usually very loud and boisterous, because uh, I don't have a filter when it comes to my tone of voice. I go all out or nothing. So uh, if you noticed uh, last week's episode when we were talking about Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, uh, you may have noticed that I was talking in a little bit uh, calmer, more... Uh, subtle tone. Uh, that was because my wife and one-year-old daughter were in the other room, and I had these little pocket doors that comprise my den uh, slash office. And my one-year-old had uh, eye surgery uh, to fix uh, some muscles in her eye, and uh, my wife had to be home with her for the week, and I was here as much as I could be. But uh, it was kind of hard to record a podcast with other people in the house because, uh, well, A, I didn't want any noise in the background coming through the microphone, but I also wanted to give my wife and daughter a chance to relax and be home. So I did a podcast anyways. I did a show anyways, but I had to be a little quieter. So I didn't um, <laughs> announce my presence to my one-year-old and her go, Dada. Da-da, from the other room. Yeah, I mean, it would have been funny if it was on recording, but I wouldn't have been able to get through the show as fast as I did. Thank you to those who uh, who uh, uh, bared with me um, while I was trying to do the show last week. So this week, I'm alone, so I can be loud, obnoxious, uh, excited, because I really am excited to talk about this movie. And like I said, we're going to be talking about Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. I guess I can start with my personal history with this movie. So this came out in 1993. I was born in 1984, so I was nine years old when I saw Jurassic Park, and I saw it in theaters the month it came out. The one thing, well, a couple of things that I remember is the very first time you get to see a dinosaur is the Brachiosaur, where he's, you know, pounding through the valley, and they get out of the Jeeps, and they're staring at him going, uh, it's a dinosaur. And then it rears up on its tail, and it eats the leaves from the top of the tree. And then you see the dinosaurs uh, across uh, the pond lake, you know, off in the distance. And I'm like, oh, this movie's going to be wonderful. This is going to be a fabulous movie. And then about halfway through, um, the clever girl scene happens, and you get the warden um, getting his face ripped off by a velociraptor. What I do remember from that part is I screamed bloody murder in the theater and cried so bad that we had to leave the movie. So now, being a 34-year-old man, I find that very funny. Downright hilarious, actually, that I would, like, scream during a movie and cry my, you know, guts out. But uh, I guess you also have to understand what a nine-year-old boy is into at that point. Uh, he's just getting into sports, but what do all little boys usually love? We love dinosaurs. So when I got to see a dinosaur eat a human being on the big screen, 
it kind of broke something loose inside of me. So uh, that's one thing that I have with this movie that will always be with me is that like, oh gosh, gut-wrenching part of me screaming. So yeah, I have that with this movie. But it's also the 25th anniversary of this movie. Isn't that incredible? 25 years ago, Jurassic Park came out in theaters and it was a billion dollar movie back then. That is absolutely incredible. It's just, I can't believe it's been that long. And what's even weirder is I went to the 20th anniversary showing in uh, theaters when I got to see Jurassic Park 3D, thanks to my brother Mike and his girlfriend Emily. Uh, They hooked us up with tickets, and uh, my wife went. So it was the four of us that went. And watching this movie on the big screen 20 years later, with it being um, refurbished and refreshed and um, remastered, but then seeing it in 3D, it was unbelievable. It was, I mean, there's just, there's something about this movie where I watched it uh, last night and I watched it two nights ago just to uh, refresh myself. Not that I really need it because this is one of those movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark where I've seen it a million times. I absolutely love this movie and I love this series. So when I sat back and watched this movie again, I just watched it on, well, then again, I watched it on our brand new TV. Um, thank you, Prime Day. Uh, we got a 50-inch uh, smart TV 4K that I uh, got to watch Jurassic Park on, so that was kind of cool. But uh, I watched it on my iPad last night with my headphones while I was uh, researching this movie a little more. And I'm just, I kept having to remind myself that I'm trying to get a little work done for this show. I kept staring off at my screen watching the T-Rex uh, flip the Jeeps and the rain and the goat and just uh, eating the lawyer off the toilet. It's uh, there's just so much about this movie that is amazing to watch now as an adult where I can actually handle uh, a little bit of the gore and violence. So, yeah. And of course, you have the wonderful John Williams scoring this movie. And if I had to like I don't like ranking things unless it's Raiders of the Lost Ark and then everything else behind that. But this would probably be a top five movie for me of all time is Jurassic Park. But it has the score the I mean, as iconic as it gets. And yes, I just did that on radio or on microphone or on podcast. Yeah. Anyways, so you're looking at scores and I put together a top three and no particular order, but I guess I do have an order. Uh, is uh, the number one theme music score from a motion picture for me is Raiders of the Lost Ark or the Indiana Jones score in general. Uh, That just brings so much joy to me. I still get goosebumps whenever I hear it. Same thing happens to me with Jurassic Park. That would be number two. And number three is actually one of the... It's not new, but it's one of the newer films for me as far as a film score is concerned with me just absolutely loving it. And that's Pirates of the Caribbean. The score to that movie was just unbelievable. The you know, it just got this amazing feel where it feels like you're on a pirate ship and there's water and it's just the action. It it's just I have a Pandora station that's film scores. And the one that comes up the most or the two that come up the most on that, because you know, it's it's based on how many, you know, things you like and all that fun stuff. But it's Jurassic Park and Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's just, I hear those the most. 
and they're just so enjoyable, especially Pirates. It's just it's it's a little faster, a little more upbeat, but it has that rolling theme uh, music that's just wonderful. And like I said, Jurassic Park is the same way. Indiana Jones, and that's that's one underrated thing with these classic movies. And I mean, for me, because of my age, classic is the '90s. Is the film scores and the iconic film scores that came out of that. And of course, you can go back into the '70s and '80s and find the same thing. And like Indiana Jones was the '80s. But uh, there's just those iconic film scores that you can just, you hear the first five notes of it and you automatically know what score that is. And let's not forget that Jurassic Park was actually a New York Times bestselling novel by the amazing Michael Crichton. We got to give it credit where credit is due. And what was so fascinating about this book is it's not actually the book itself. I didn't know this, but Universal actually bought the novel from him before it was released. That's how confident they were that this was going to make an amazing movie. They paid Michael Crichton $2 million for the rights to this novel before it was even released. And then as production came, um, it was about a couple of years later that the movie came out after the novel had been released. I mean, history is history. And like I say, uh, yeah, they did the right thing. <laughs> they did an amazing job. And um, Steven Spielberg was a part of it. James Cameron was actually up for wanted to bid for being in the director's chair, but it was given to Spielberg before he had a chance. Steven Spielberg actually uh, reportedly made $250 million for his part of this movie because I guess uh, all the different things, the way the contract worked out or, you know, whatever. I'm not 100% sure how the legal stuff is, but uh, he's still known to make the most mo or the money off any movie ever in history, one single guy. So, yeah, not a bad payday for Steven Spielberg. Funny note, or not really funny note, but, you know, I guess the, the way that things work out is during post-production of this movie, he actually did everything um, via computer and uh, camera and, you know, you're 1993, so there wasn't a lot going on with, like, Skype. But uh, he had to do everything from afar because he was directing Schindler's List. And uh, he said Schindler's List was such an emotional drag that he had to force himself to remember and stay excited for Jurassic Park because, uh, you know, he was like looking at fake dinosaurs and pictures and videos and stuff. And he's just like, but he's doing this uh, war movie with Schindler's List. And it was uh, really hard for him to finish Jurassic Park with any enthusiasm. And then, you know, when it came out, that's a whole nother story because the, uh, the, the press and the release and the massive, massive audience that it brought in. So, you know, it, it, I can understand why uh, Spielberg may have had a little bit of a, a hangover because of uh, Schindler's List, but, uh, you know, it, it was nice to see him be able to be celebrated as the genius that he is with these movies. And, of course, where would we be without the amazing cast? And before we get into it, I actually read that uh, Harrison Ford was actually offered the role of Dr. Alan Grant. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you all know my, uh, my infatuation with Harrison Ford, but he actually turned down the role because he didn't believe he was the right fit for it. And I think he was doing the Tom Clancy movies at that point, the Clear and Present Dangers and Patriot Games and all that. So uh, he had a little bit going on, maybe even I think The Fugitive and all those. So he was doing pretty good for himself anyways, but he actually turned down the role and uh, it was given to Sam Neill. And like a lot of characters, you you see the actor now 25 years later and you can't picture anyone else being Alan Grant. It's just Sam Neill. Sam Neill is is Alan Grant. Uh, same as for Ian Malcolm. Uh, Jeff Goldblum knocked it out of the park with his portrayal, and uh, he did a wonderful job in the Lost in the Lost World uh, as the star. Without uh, Sam Neill, or in this case, you also have uh, Doctor Sattler, which is Lauren Dern. Uh, she was amazing. Uh, her and Sam Neill came back for 
uh, Jurassic Park 3. So it's kind of nice that uh, they were kind of reintroducing these characters, kind of flip-flopping them within the series. And you had, uh, of course, John Hammond, which is the amazing Richard Attenborough. You have uh, Dennis Nedry, played by Wayne Knight. Uh, Every time I hear his voice, I think of Nedry. I think of, hello, Newman. And then I also think of uh, Al from Al's Toy Barn from Toy Story 2. So, yeah, uh, Wayne Knight, awesome, did a great job. And then you have the, um, it's kind of funny how his character has evolved, is B.D. Wong, who plays Dr. Henry Wu, who is like the science genius behind bringing these dinosaurs back to life. In the first movie, he was just a young, up-and-coming kind of, you know, you know, scientist. His character really wasn't all that, like, developed. It was just kind of like a guy. But then when you see him in Jurassic World, uh, he and they talk about the Indominus Rex and uh, the new owner of the park is talking to him. And you're like, wow, this guy's nuts. (laughs) He's absolutely nuts. He's just like so like like God complex almost. And then, of course, Jurassic World 2, he's like even crazier. And it's just, man, they're really going all out with this character. I liked it. I liked the way his character eventually evolved. But it was insane how it evolved into who he is now. So, you know, bravo for the casting, um, the casting director and everyone else getting this cast together because they did such an amazing job. And, of course, with uh, Steven Spielberg in the director's chair, it was kind of hard for this movie to flop. And I think this movie was also king of the chilling moments, like the awestruck moments on screen. Like I said before, uh, when you first see the Brachiosaur in the uh, the sun and you see him rear up, it, it just you get this amazing, like chilling feeling. And then, you know, you also get the first look at the T-Rex as it, you know, stomps out of the broken fence and you're right in the car with everybody and he roars and you see the light and it's just the dark. It's just, Oh my gosh, you get this amazing chilling, you know, this tingling right up your spine. And, um, when you're in the car later in this scene with Lex and Tim and Lex has the flashlight through the window and then the T-Rex dips down and you see his eye dilate. It's just like, ah, you're just like, so you're so excited, but you're so terrified, but you're so excited. It's just like, there's so many of these these uh th- these feelings in this movie and then later Lex and Tim getting chased by the raptors through the kitchen and uh they're crawling back and forth trying to outsmart the smartest dinosaur on the planet and you're just like oh like as I just you it's hard to describe the feeling of some of these scenes and the fantastic job that uh Spielberg did and the actors to to sell it because they're selling you something that does not exist. And that's what's so amazing about great movie making. You know, like Indiana Jones, a lot of it was historical fact that they twisted into fiction. And that's what I do as a writer. But when you can get into like the head of these directors and like the vision that they see on camera, it's unbelievable how it can turn out when it's done right. There are so many great, great, great opportunities out there uh, for movies that just get stepped on and mushed and just turn into junk. And thankfully you get these classics that also come out of these same, um, the same generation of director and same generation of actor. And you're just awestruck by this wonder that's on screen. And you know it's a phenomenal movie when you understand that there's actually only 15 minutes of dinosaurs on screen. 15 minutes. That's all you get from the dinosaurs. And I read that last night, and I was like, I had no idea. I, could, I would have never noticed. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, man, I need more, I need more. It was perfectly done. It was perfectly spaced out. The 15 minutes of dinosaurs in this movie 
um, did much more for me than the six minutes of Boba Fett in Star Wars. So there you go. And yes, dinosaurs are more marketable than Boba Fett. I don't like Boba Fett. I, it's all I have to say about that. So yeah, undeserved attention. Don't at me, Star Wars fans. Don't at me because I love Star Wars. I just don't like Boba Fett. So let's get off of my Boba hate and talk about the some of the lines in this movie. You have uh, some, the hold on to your butts. I mean, Sammy, Sammy being Sammy, you know, he's awesome. And uh, Ian Malcolm's must, must go faster when uh, they're being chased by the T-Rex and he's laid up in the back of the Jeep. That was actually also used in Independence Day when him and Will Smith are flying through the alien mothership trying to get out of it while it's exploding is he says must go faster. I think it's sampled. It's an audio sample. So you don't actually hear him or see him say it. So it's kind of really funny how they brought that to uh, attention. And then you have the dinosaur screams. I remember watching the making of this movie a few years back, and they were describing how they came up with some of these screams. And it's like four or five or six different animals and noises put together to make this bone-chilling scream. Like the T-Rex is a dog, a penguin, a tiger, a gator, and an elephant. And put that together and you get Rex. And I know like the Dilophosaurus, I believe there's like a howler monkey mixed into there, which, you know, now that you hear howler monkey and then you watch the movie, you're like, man, I can actually hear it. It's insane how uh, the sound teams put these noises together. And like Indiana Jones, there was a significant uptick in the interest for archaeology at um, universities around the world after Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. You had more students enrolling in archaeological classes. Well, you also had the same thing in Jurassic Park. They said in the mid-90s, you had record numbers of people uh, enrolling in paleontology because of the, the renewed interest in dinosaurs with Jurassic Park. So it's amazing how a film, a, a book based on science fact, turned into fiction for the audiences around the world just to have a good time can have that big of an impact on the real world and really change the way people look at the different sciences. And I like to kind of talk about how some of these things fall into place and how much luck we have as an audience to get really good quality uh, films. And the one thing that struck me as like, holy cow, we got really, really fortunate is while um, Steven Spielberg, uh, when he started uh, his project with Jurassic Park, he actually put on hold another project, which was actually a uh, movie based on another Michael Crichton novel. And uh, the movie was actually called ER. Of course, we know uh, ER as a uh, legendary TV show, uh, he actually put off a movie so he could start working on Jurassic Park. And after Jurassic Park and after Schindler's List and that stuff, he actually did become very, very involved with ER, getting it off the ground as a TV series. So just, but I mean, you just have to look back as a Jurassic Park fan. I never really watched ER. So as a Jurassic Park fan, if he decided to go a different route and go with ER, uh, James Cameron probably would have gotten a hold of Jurassic Park. And while that's cool, ish with you know Stan Winston and we know that there was a lot of uh, the Terminator 2 kind of animatronics and the, the the different ways that there there were some of that kind of mixed into it with the way that they approached some of this there's no way we would have gotten the same movie and as good as James Cameron is at his job I mean Spielberg it was just there was there's a feel to it that he I just don't think anyone else would have been able to do so like I said we got really fortunate with a single decision of somebody like Spielberg, who didn't need to do Jurassic Park, but he wanted to. 
he wanted to do it and he he was so enthused with the project that he put off another billion dollar industry million dollar or franchise that would have just defined his career in a good way as well but obviously the people that love er the tv show got what they wanted because they got a tv show that went on i think 10 plus years um and it's a roundabout but then me being more of a a a movie lover than i am a tv lover i got jurassic park you know we got jurassic park out of it everyone got what they wanted so yay for good decisions and before i get out of here i did want to say um i I want to go through all of the Jurassic Park movies, including Jurassic World and then eventually Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, I'm not going to do them back to back to back. So like my next show isn't going to be The Lost World because there are some people that may not enjoy this series as much as I do. And I don't want to take up like a month of everyone's time and energy to listen to these shows if you're not really into it. So I'll sprinkle in the other movies in order. So I know the next movie I'll do in this series will be The Lost World because I want to be able to call back to this episode and tell people to re-listen and do all that. If they want to kind of like listen to them in order, like back to back, they can do it. You just go back and click on it and hit play. So I, I am I am really excited to talk about the other movies. So, um, But the, uh, the one thing that I did want to mention with Jurassic World is since it came out, there's been this fan theory, and as far as I know, it's just a fan theory, is that the chubby kid at the beginning of Jurassic Park that uh, calls them six-foot turkeys, that is actually Owen Grady, who is Chris Pratt as a kid. Now, obviously, it's easy to call back and say that. So it's kind of like in Spider-Man where uh, they talk about uh, the fan theory of Spider-Man as a kid being at the Stark Expo in Iron Man 2. And he's the kid that holds up the hand with the mask and uh, Tony comes down and saves him towards the end of the movie where he's he's killing all the drone bots. So where Ivan uh, Venko is uh, controlling them from the uh, Hammer Industries uh, building. So yeah, obviously I know a little bit about those movies too. There's this fan theory that, you know, that they call back to previous movies and say, yeah, of course, that's what we, you know, that it's exactly who he is. It's not. I mean, let's, let's be real. When they made Iron Man 2, they didn't say that's Peter Parker. I mean, give me a break, you know? And then of course, in this, in this series, they, they didn't plan on Owen Grady being a chubby fat kid, you know, you know, at the beginning of this movie calling Velociraptors six-foot turkeys and then them going, you know what? 20-some-odd years later, he's going to be the star of another movie, another part of this franchise. So, you know, they can say what they want, but it's not necessarily true. Still, it is kind of cool to think about it like that. All right, before I get out of here, again, I just want to say thank you to those who have rated and reviewed uh, the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Anything Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, get a hold of me. Uh, you know, comment, say hi. I'm more than available to talk to you and say hi back. And just kind of, if there's any movies you'd like me to watch that you'd think uh, I maybe I haven't seen, which having kids the last few years there's quite a few I haven't seen but uh, I, I do plan on going through a bunch of newer movies as well but I do like to talk about the classics because I feel like a lot of podcasts that do movies really just focus on the newest ones out in theaters uh, like movie reviews of the new movies I did that in prior podcasts and while it was fun it was really hard to do because I mean how many times can you see a movie brand new before you do a podcast on it. I mean, I remember doing the show when I was doing a good BM, and uh, that it's a play on words. BM meant books and movies, and, you know, you know. anyways. It was one of those things where we would go see the movie in the afternoon and then rush home and do a podcast. So we had only seen the movie once, 
and we would normally see it opening weekend. So there wasn't a lot of information online for us to go look at for, uh, you know, for, for notes and stuff. So while I do want to talk about newer movies, it'll probably be later as I've seen them more often. Like I do want to talk about the Thor movies with, you know, Ragnarok being the most recent, but I, you know, I wouldn't mind going through the other two as well, you know, and, and, you know, uh, Spider-Man homecoming black Panther, which I may not talk about just because this movie or this podcast is supposed to be movies I enjoyed. So the fact that I don't want to talk about it, you know, that should lend to the, uh, you know, anyways, Thank you very, very much again for listening, and remember, life finds a way.